All right, there is the four people I want to just mention today. Here's the first verse of that again, Micah chapter 2. Woe to those who are pondering injustice or iniquity, to doing what those who do evil on their beds. In the light of the morning, they will do it because the hand of God is to them. These are, these are hard things to translate. However, this word, uh, reckoning evil, right? Doing bad iniquity on your bed. Uh, Hugh Hefner, right? What do these guys have in common? You, you're never going to guess this. Maybe, maybe you will. Hugh Hefner, you guys know who Hugh Hefner is, right? Um, uh, um, King Ahab, right? We just read about King Ahab. He was, yes. Uh, and then there's, uh, what was the last guy? Is Og, King of Bashan. Does anybody remember who Og, King of Bashan is? It's from Numbers 21. This is one of the, the guys that Moses defeated with Sihon, the king of the Amorites, these two kings, before they came into the Promised Land. Well, Og, king of Bashan, had something that was also similar uh, to these guys. And the last one is David. What do these guys have in common? Og, king of Bashan, David, uh, Naboth the Jezreel, I, I mean uh, Ahab, and Hugh Hefner. Right? They're all talking about beds. There's all this, this thing of a bed. So here you have in the first verse of Micah chapter 2, the idea of a bed. You may think that's not a big deal. Actually, it is a big deal. Now you say, well, being on the bed can be a, a bad thing, can be a good thing. Visions of the night. God appears to people, but it says on the bed, in the bed, not in the night usually, not on the bed. So the bed for these guys is mentioned by God. Hugh Hafner used to parade around in his bathrobe. That was his big trademark. Um, look at me. I don't look at the fun work I'm doing. But behind the scenes in his head is, how am I going to run this corporation? So he really wasn't having as much fun as it looks like. Um, so that's Hafner. Ahab is on his bed, and he's depressed, right? And he's got a, you would think he's got a nice bed. This is a palace. Ahab has a kingdom now. He's a king. He's on his bed. What's he doing on his bed? Well, then we all know about David. What was David doing in his bed? Not much. Getting up late, looks out off the balcony, and there it goes with Bathsheba, Right? So, that's it, that's it. So, um, who's the other guy I mentioned? Our king of Bashan, right? The guy is said to have had a bed that was nine cubits long. What are you doing in a nine cubit? He was a, an enormous man, right? He was big. But, there, <laughs> but he's got this bed again, right? And there, there we are with that. So, um, and now we have these guys. What they're 
trying to figure what these guys in beds are about, and I think it is maybe making the point that they're not in the battle. They're not fighting the good battle. Hugh Hefner is the only one who's really fighting the battle. He's trying to make his corporation survive. So, but these other guys are not in the battle, particularly we think of, of King David. So, um, <clears throat> oh, I got the wrong page here. All right. So, uh, the bed for these guys are their downfall. And they're, what are they doing? They're plotting in their bed because of their power. You know, it's the power that's the problem right there. Um, they have the power. They're able to do it. It says they lost the same than the, the, the ninth commandments. Or is it the tenth? Right? They lost. And so they go and take it. Right? So that's. That's where it leads. Uh, lust leads to this um, uh, slavery. This is the beginning of slavery. Powerful men lying on their beds with nothing better to do than worry about how they're going to maintain their power, right? And then oppressing, putting people on, making people slaves. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was thinking about Judah. Well, we're going to go down and make them pay taxes, right? We're going to make them slaves. So it's really all about slavery. Slavery is a huge part of history. But here's the funny thing. Those who are involved in spiritual slavery, that's these guys, right? That's the Hugh Hefner of this world. That's the George Soros. That's the Bill Gates of this world. These guys are, as far as I know, in spiritual slavery. And I don't think it's really any fun for them. But the spiritual, physical slavery, or that is spiritual slavery, sorry about that, has most of the time a bad future, a very bad future. Whereas physical slavery, think of the Chinese, very often has a good future. Why do I say that? You look at the slaves in, in China. I was talking to a guy on, um, I forgot to start my timer. Uh, looking at the, at the guys, uh, I, we were do, doing evangelism at Temple University, and we were talking to this, a couple of guys, and I said, well, look at the Chinese. Look at the explosion of Christianity in, the chi in China. And another guy who was Chinese said, yeah, but that's just with people who are idiots. Those are the idiots. They're embracing Christianity. We made my point because it goes to the little people. You know what? Nothing, I think, quite gets God upset like messing with little people. He will mess with the big people. What's going to happen with these guys? It says they'll have yokes on their necks. They won't be, it says they won't walk high anymore. They're going to walk Whoa, these are the kings, these are the rulers of Israel. And that's a good thing. He's blessing them by that. He's not doing that in particular to the kings of, of uh, Moab or whatever. But he does do that with Nebuchadnezzar, right? He does, he does go after pagan kings. 
They're not off, off the charts. So he says, ah, at the beginning, beginning of the chapter, uh, whoa, woe is you. When God says, whoa, man, you got a problem. But that's not what they're worried about. That's the furthest thing from their minds, right? Uh, so you're devising these plans. Same word he uses a little bit later on. Well, I have a plan for you. I'm devising plans for you. And it means a yoke for your neck. The time is going to come when you're going to be uh, you're going to be eating some humble pie. You're going to get a haircut. Okay, so all right, and then they're surprised. Like, what is this? What is this? Why is someone else dividing up our land? Uh, how is it that the Assyrians and the Babylonians are coming up? They're deciding whose land is which. Uh, there's, there's a big surprise. Well, there always is a big surprise. Um, and, it, and of all people, they say, by pagans, by apostates is the word. Apostates? Well, what are they? How are they calling these guys apostates? How are they calling these, these, these pagan kings? And they're every bit as pagan as they are. Apostates. Right? Okay, so, all right, can I get down to, they desire fields and they plunder them, houses and they lift them up, just like in Ahab's case, right? They, they want a field, they're able to do it, and so they do it. That's, that's something that scares me. Because when you have power, would I have done the same thing? I don't know what I would have done. When you had that sort of power, uh, you do things like that. You, you get something that you want, and then you want more. That's just human nature, right? Um, yeah, that's... that's uh, I, I was picking up a guy uh, uh, just, just yesterday. It was a hot day, or the day before. And he's not a guy who has, he's, he's a, uh, a beggar, is really what he is. So I saw him, it's a hot day, I had to walk to my car, I'm walking right by him, I say, well, Ed, and everybody kind of knows him. Uh, come on, Ed, I'll, I'll give you a ride. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, so I got to thinking, well, it was hot, and I was, oh man, I, gotta, I, I went four blocks out of my way, but I was, I was a little bit... Um, you know, I wanted to hurry up and get over. Yeah, I, I, he was just, to me, a little bit of an annoyance, I, I have to admit. Uh, so then, you know, I, I didn't really look at him the way I should have been looking at him. Why is that? Because I have a car. He doesn't have a car. It's a big deal. You know, I'm, I'm above him in a certain sense. But that's, that's the thinking. So, anyhow. Uh, all right? So next they say, thinking of their beds, and then they say, uh, where have, how is our inheritance departed? Just sounds like, just like the uh, Nabot the Jezreelite, right? Uh, 
Therefore, there won't be for you someone throwing down the, uh, the line. And then they say, here's a, here's a difficult portion right here. You will not prophesy. They will prophesy. Uh, they, will not, they will not prophesy to these. Then shame will overcome them forever, right? Days, shame will not, will, they won't escape shame. Okay? What's being said here? Well, there's debate about this. Calvin says, um, what he's saying is, you shall not prophesy. Uh, that's these people in, in power saying to prophets, you're not going to prophesy, don't do that. And so, says Calvin, interprets this, and so God says, uh, okay, they're not going to prophesy. That's fine. I'm not going to have my prophets humiliated. But in that case, no one would prophesy after that. If prophets... If prophets don't prophesy, then we're all in trouble. Um, so, I'm going to say someone else, Kyle Dalich, a, a uh, commentator, says, Now you will prophesy, that's the command. And then it goes something like this. God says, oh yeah? They're going to prophesy, right? That's all part of the calling of a prophet. They won't be humiliated. Of course they'll be humiliated. Prophets are almost always being humiliated. That's just how it is. That's the name of the game for, for prophets. So yes, they will prophesy. God asserts that. And then he says, are they not going to prophesy? Watch out if they don't prophesy. Because then the shame is never gone. So really the fate of the nation is linked to the prophets. Okay? So, uh, so, so now they say this. These people who are in power, the power people who want to shut off the prophets. Always someone wants to shut up the prophets. Right? Because when is that ever pleasant? Right? Uh, they say, these guys... They say, look at us. And this is at some future time, I, I think, when Jerusalem falls, when Samaria falls, when they're shambles. And they're going to say, uh, is the spirit of the Lord short? Uh, what Are these his works? Is this what God does? Is this all that God can do? Is God this weak? So they wear down the attributes of God. What are they saying here? That God is too small. The God who is too small. Right? That's that's always the great danger. So, what is his response? Yes, they will prophesy. And then he says this. Are not my words, will not my words to do good with those who walk uprightly? Will not my words do good with those who walk uprightly? But now you can say, who is it that walks uprightly? Who is it that does that? Really, 
if you're them, you're saying, okay, let's say they wanted to, to agree with that. Okay, we'll walk uprightly. But first of all, they're making, they're making God into something they want him to be, which is going to be someone subservient to them, which will, which will be somebody who does what they want them to do, what, what they want him to do. That's the way that's got to be. We're in power. We're going to maintain our power. Well, we want the status quo power structure. That's just the way the pharaohs were, right? Even to the point that we even have a uh, pyramids so that our rulership, our authority, really never has an end to it. In fact, we're even divine. It's got to stay the way it is. Who wants to change that? Who wants to change when you're all, when you're in total power like this, especially in those days, right? Pharaohs calling themselves gods and so on, and so they're saying, uh, "Is the spirit of God short?" Well, that's one thing that gets God excited too. Is this all that God can do? That's something that that gets God excited as well, because. He wants to say, no, are not my words. What is he doing? He's proclaiming through the prophets, are not my words, will not they do good with the one who walks uprightly? Well, who's the one who walks uprightly? Do you walk uprightly? Not me. So already there's a, uh, there's, I think, a statement of the law right? That we need the law to correct us, to convict us of sin, to say, no, I have to go back to the way to walk uprightly. How do I walk uprightly? Um, I have to hear the word of God. And then how is the spirit going to work? The spirit works when the word is proclaimed and I have faith that God is saying is what I'm doing. And that's what's going to get it done. That's the most important. That's the thing that's going to save the world. That is faith by the proclamation of the prophets um, as people listen to that. But they don't listen unless the Spirit is working in their lives. So that's where that's where faith comes, comes from. Uh, that's where that comes from. But then beyond that, the Spirit of God determines history. Get that. The Spirit of God brings history alive. The Spirit of God creates the future of Israel. All right. Okay. So he says this. Arise and go. Another one more one more thing. Yes. Uh, and this, the Spirit of God, what is God doing? What is your God doing? Say the rich guys, the guys that are in power, uh, the big guys. What is he doing? God is saying, God, 
by His Spirit is producing faith. God is creating faith, but not just that. God is creating the future of Israel. God is creating all of the future entirely. How? By His Word, by the Word of the Prophets. So that's where the Word of the Prophets come in. Right? So, um, and that's the only thing, get this, that's the only thing that cracks the wall um, of the hopelessness of paganism. That is the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word is the only thing that cracks open the wall of pagan hopelessness. There's no hope unless you have the preaching of the word. God is not going to leave us in a world where there is no preaching. Where is when? Where and when has ever God stopped the preaching of the word? Right? When does He ever stop that? It never stops. These guys, these missionaries to um, China, I think their name was Pan or Fan, something like that. John and Betty Stan, I think it was. Right? They go in, yeah. Yep, they go in. They preach in China. And they get killed. I think the Marxists came in and, and killed them. All right? What happens after that? Hundreds of missionaries volunteer to go over and preach the word. You don't stop this. Doesn't matter what they do, what you do, they don't stop this. Are they gonna are they gonna speak the word? Are they gonna preach? Yes, the prophets are going to going to continue. They're gonna preach. Right. Okay. So now, now here's another surprising, a surprising thing in this. Um, he says to them, "Rise and go," because this is not the rest. Rise and go. Because this is not the rest. Do you remember that phrase from anywhere else in the Old Testament? Anybody remember where that may have come from? Rise and go. It's Jonah, right? Where is Jonah going to go? He's going to go to the Fertile Crescent. He's going to go to Assyria. He's going to go to Nineveh. Right in the neighborhood of Babylon. So he's saying, to whom? He's saying to these Men, these kings, these Israelite kings who have have done the following. Uh, this It's your uncleanness uh, that you, you, you take people's land um, and if you go and somebody comes along. Uh, this is a, another point I wanted to make here. Um, he says, rise and go. Then he, that's that's the, the interruption of slavery. Uh, then he says, if a man, then, so, okay, yeah. So he caused them to repentance. Even after the awful stuff off the, the oppression, the slavery, he caused them to repentance. He says, arise and go. Go where? Where does he want them to go? He wants them to go to Babylon. Salvation's in Babylon. It's not Jerusalem anymore. Okay, so he says, arise and go. Uh, but he knows they're not going to do it. That's a little parenthesis here. All you have to do is have someone come to you and say, um, 
I'll give you a strong drink. In other words, I'll say stuff, I'll say stuff that'll make you feel good. That's that's what we want. That's what the big guys want. So that's that's what the, you have somebody that comes along and does that. He's saying you guys will follow right after him. You guys will follow the false teacher, the false prophet. No problem. Um, and that is the problem because the drink, strong drink, wine and strong drink get together. That's always bad in the Bible. Uh, priests are supposed to avoid strong wine and strong drink. Um, but he says, uh, so that's why are priests supposed to avoid that stuff? So they'll be alert, right? So, so they'll be awake. Remember uh, uh, Daniel chapter 5 with Belshazzar and the hand comes out and there's a big surprise. Totally takes him by, by surprise. It's a shock. Why is that? Well, they're getting drunk. They're having another feast. They're having a party. Right in the middle of that, the end comes. So they weren't awake. You know, the same problem that people have, these guys have laying on their beds is the same problem that happens when the prophets give them give them something they want to hear. They they want to avoid reality. You know when the Germans were attacking, uh, not the Germans, the Russians were moving down at the end of World War II in the invasion of Germany under Zhukov, his name was right, the ger Russian general. Well, what do you think the um, the leadership, Joseph Goebbels, maybe Hitler, I'm not sure Hitler was even there. What do you think they were doing at that point? What would you do if that were you? Pretty grim, right? You know, the Russians are coming in. The Russians are going to be ticked. The, and they were. It was brutal what the Russians did. Uh, but that there was, there was a cause for that. They got into a concert hall and listened to one of, the, one of Beethoven's symphonies. They totally spaced out, right? So now they don't know what's going on. That's the problem, a big problem, I think, in the Christian life. It's the problem of being on the bed, not being in the war. That's where you belong. That's where we, that's where I belong, in the war. In the war, you're alert. And you know, you need to be alert because you never know where the shots are going to come from. You don't know, right? That's they asked the guy and uh, they interviewed this kid in Vietnam, uh, right there on the spot, shooting up here, reloading, come down. And they're saying, "What's the worst thing about this?" He says, "The worst thing is you don't know where they are. You don't know where it's coming from. So you can take some R and R, go off for a week somewhere. Even then, there's an explosion in the background. There is no real R and R." In the Christian life, there is no, there's, of course, you have to rest sometimes, but there's never really a time when you, you cannot be alert because that's when the attack comes. That's when you fall, you know? So, uh, the, uh, they're just umpteen verses about that, right? Okay. So, So the best part is this, despite the way they're enslaving the little guys, right? And by the way, 
Who is it that goes into the Babylonian captivity? It's the big guys, mostly. That's who they're after. They don't care about the little guys, really. In fact, they have to have some people stay there to take care of farms and so on, right? To, to grow some food. But now he says this, uh, at the end, uh, I surely, I will gather Jacob, all of you. Surely I will gather all of you, Jacob. And surely I will bring together the remnant of Israel. So God is going to superintend over all of this. And God is going to bring them uh, together, he says. I will make them one flock. Uh, and according to the flock in the midst, middle of a pasture, and they will be loud. And he will go up. The, the breaker, he's called, before them. The breaker will go up before them. Where's he going to go? Where's he? What's he going to break? And they will break. They will cross over the gate, and they will they will come in it. They'll they'll go in it, uh, and he will cross over. That is, their king will cross over before them. And here's the last part: and the Lord as head. Okay, so this is already planned. He says, "Arise and go." Where are you going to go? You're going to go to the New Jerusalem. Where's the New Jerusalem? That's Babylon. These things are switched around. You're comfortable. You're in cozy, laying on beds in Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem is done. Basically, it's done. Well, you say, wait a minute. They came back uh, in the Babylonian captivity. They escaped from Babylon. They Cyrus orders that they return. So, you know, so Jerusalem's restored. Yeah, actually under Nehemiah, the temple first, right? So there's this whole switch that goes on. That Jerusalem, and in fact, even the temple, is now going to decrease, and Babylon's going to increase. So he's saying, arise and go. You're going to the new Jerusalem, which is Babylon. You're going to build uh, something in Babylon. And in fact, you have this remnant, this fraction of the people who are going to leave Babylon, some of the Jews like, in fact, most of them, the vast majority, said, this is great in Babylon. This is fine. We have business, whatever it is. And the remnant, a small number, they go back to Jerusalem. But for what purpose? Eventually, Jerusalem and the Herod rebuilds, builds on top of the temple, on top of the second temple, right? Has this elaborate temple to which Jesus says, they say, whoa, look how great this temple is, man. And Jesus says, see that temple? It's going to be gone. That thing's going to collapse. You won't be able to pile one stone on top of the other. 70 AD, bang, the whole thing is done. Why is that? Because the new temple is here. And where are we going? We're going to Babylon. Arise and go. That's where it's at now. It's in Babylon. It's no longer in the temple. But God has superintended all of this. And where does the breakthrough come from? The breakthrough comes through this individual called the breaker. It's a strange word. He breaks through, and that lasts in, in verse 13. 
Who is that but Christ? This is, this is all about this, this one individual who's going to unify all of Israel. In the midst of their passion, he's going to take, you know, they're going to be bleeding so loud, it's, you know, it, uh, very loudly, and they're going to cross over, and the Lord is at their head. He will cross over their king. Their king will cross over. What king's going to be good enough to do this kind of stuff? Gather them all together? Uh, certainly not Saul, not even David, right? What king is good enough to do this? Well, one apparently here. And it says their king going before them, breaking through walls, breaking out of Jerusalem, breaking out of Babylon, breaking out of, out of the... Uh, the hopelessness of this world, of pagan thinking, of this false conception of, of the, that they have of God, right? And the Lord is at their head. Is that another way of saying uh, the Lord is the king? The Lord is uh, the king is Yahweh. Maybe so. I don't know. Best verse. Unfortunately, we have to end there. Okay. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank, please help us today, Lord, to apply that to our lives. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.